The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The NBA Finals are set. The Milwaukee Bucks win two straight without Giannis Antetokounmpo in relatively impressive fashion despite the return of Trey Young and I think the place we got to start is with just the incredible third quarter that one Chris Middleton had. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an absolutely remarkable performance from Middleton and you know it was a stretch that at the time it looked like the Bucks had potentially gone out to a lead that they weren't going to relinquish and there was a late a late charge by the Hawks but Middleton I I mean there was a a a 16 straight point run for him during that stretch it was it was just I mean he was getting getting good shots making tough shots whatever they needed yeah he he started off got a three in the corner off a miscommunication uh, when actually I mean the Hawks had a Kevin Herter three in the air that could have given them the lead we actually went I think three consecutive games without any lead changes which was not the most exciting basketball in the world but the Hawks were threatening they're only down by four at halftime they got back to 47 45 and that's when Middleton scored his 16 straight and then he also had two assists uh during the next couple of minutes as well Bucks got out to a double digit lead at that point Hawks did get back within six late but drew holiday had an unbelievable drive between three hawks to push it back to eight trey young who struggled to four of 17 missed three shots in a row had a couple of good looks for three uh and the bucks switching continued to work just well enough against the hawks so they will go to the nba finals Uh, and i think i just want to give some credit in what has been a total season of attrition and postseason of attrition to chris middleton and drew holiday because those two guys you know maybe the genius of john horse offseason was to just give them the bucks so little depth that they just had to play middleton and holiday well over 40 minutes a game every game and that's what mike mike budenholzer did and both those guys looked extremely spry by the end yeah, and I mean, you think of the workloads. It's something that came up for us a lot in the Bucks' last series against the Brooklyn Nets of when a star player is out, it increases the stress of the minutes on the players that are now elevated in terms of their responsibilities, and Middleton and Holiday handled that ably. Now, there was a little bit of clogged toilet offense in the last five minutes. I don't necessarily think that was their fault. And I mean, when Drew Holiday didn't do that, those those plays were really good. They also got a corner three for Connaughton on one of those plays where he attacked a little bit harder and then a, a P.J. Tucker one, if memory serves as yeah, well. Yeah, Trey, 
Trey just just lost oh, him yeah. on that play. And then the last Tucker three was they were trying to double team and they just passed out of it and yeah. got him wide open. I mean, I thought the Hawks defensive plan was about as good as it could have been. I mean, they they make mistakes. They're not a great defense team, but you know, just looking at the number of shots for Tucker with him being two of ten and he finally hit a, th- a three pointer right at the very end. You know, I think that was certainly a good thing to force him to shoot more um and get the ball out of the hands of, of Middleton and Holiday but it just Middleton got so hot from the outside uh during that third quarter that that really pushed him but it was still a survivable performance with him only going 10 out of 22 uh they also uh fouled him he, he uh acted his way into a couple of very cheap fouls at the end of the fourth quarter he, he wasn't the only one <laughs> yeah I mean I would say the Hawks got a little bit rougher of a whistle in this one and the other crazy thing was just the number of threes that the Bucks got up you know you wouldn't oh, think I, I thought you were going with another crazy thing but we'll get there Oh, there are many, yeah, there are many crazy things uh, about this to be sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's 45 threes and they got up, uh, made 17 of 45. At one point there were five out of 19 and you're like, man, this is just headed towards another ridiculously terrible buck shooting performance where they just can't hit enough shots. They got, you know, 38% is not ridiculous, but 38% on 45 attempts, you know, that's enough to where it's going to be difficult for the other team. Holiday actually got up 12 threes and Middleton got up 10. So 22 just between those two guys. I mean, what did you think about the Hawks' performance in this one? I thought overall, they, I mean, the thing that st- struck me most, especially in that fourth quarter, was just they're continuing to compete. And they, you know, the Bucks were ahead and, and Atlanta put their best foot forward. They kept on pushing and they got some memorable performances. I mean, for me, you were talking about the other weird ones was Cam Reddish, who, first of all, he's missed basically the last four months of action. He played, you know, he's played a little bit earlier in the series, played in game two in two and four before game five. And Reddish drops, and this was obviously game six. And then he's, you know, Reddish shot 26% from three this year on, I mean, it was a small sample because he only played in 26 regular season games, but Reddish made 26% of those threes, then drops six of seven and plays some pretty good defense. I thought he was one of the better defenders on the, on the Hawks in this game as at times their best player on the floor. Yeah, Reddish in the second half was five of five from downtown. And he did that basically in all about a 12 minute period. Middleton, uh, his stretch of, I think he had 13 points in like maybe two and a half minutes, something like that, like right at the start of the third as they pushed out the So there were some just crazy hot shooting performances. Unfortunately, Reddish still can't really do anything inside the arc. Like his finishing has always been maybe the most disappointing thing about him going back to his college days. I, I mean, I think I remember what was he shot like, you know, some crazy low percentage from two even in college and it was a, a decent three point shooter. And, you know, certainly it was encouraging to see him back. I mean, it's obviously extremely difficult to have to come in and execute at a playoff level as it was for Chris Dunn as well, who wasn't able to play tonight, but, uh, or didn't play tonight because Trey was back. So, yeah, I credit him for. For it coming in with some decent defense although Middleton uh still was able to light him up to some degree and but I thought he I thought he did yeah, their he, best job on him oh yeah well they don't really have any other true wing, real wing defender Bogdanovich is okay but he's like a guy who you consider even above average defending on the wing Reddish is the, essentially the only one available and you, know, he, you knew he was really on fire 
when he hit like a pick and pop three uh but then they tried like running some of the offense through him too and anytime he penetrated he either like turned it over or forced up a, a wild shot that missed so that they, they kind of they just kind of milked it in the wrong ways where they're just like all right no he's hot let's throw the ball to him and that's not really uh what he's going to be able to do at this point in his career what did you think of how trey young looked out there i thought you could see the physical limitations but also trey young is such a damn good passer there were times that it looked you know that the offense looked better just for having him out there because of what he can do yeah and he was only negative five in the end and they lost by 11 he you know if you there would be times when you would watch him be like okay this actually doesn't look that bad but he clearly was very loath to land on it would struggle to run up and down the court at times his defense always a concern was really bad but you know i mean like if you if you didn't see him like land and limp you wouldn't have necessarily been like oh this isn't the same guy there's clearly something wrong with him i mean he obviously shot terribly 417 and oh of six from three and nine assists only played 35 minutes in the end i don't know if he was on a minutes limit or they just felt like they were gonna play him less or something you know i just kind of like coming back from an ankle issue i mean and in an elimination game i'm not really sure what like the science is behind the that just where you know if it's if he plays 40 minutes on that ankle like something's gonna go wrong but 35 is okay like his cardio should have still been relatively okay um I mean, not that like him playing more would have saved them because he was really struggling and he did struggle at the end, but obviously he gave them something. Um, It was just, you know, it was a shame that he wasn't able to be 100% because that clearly was the case, but he also gave them some positive things as well. And actually, I mean, I think all four of his field goals were layups, which is probably more shots than he's made at the rim in like any game in the whole playoffs, I would bet. Yeah, and Trey missed all six of his three-pointers, but was six to seven from the line, including, you know, some some, some creative ways of getting there. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, I thought something else that was really fascinating about this came from Clean the Glass. Like if you look at the fast break points as credited, and you and I have talked so much about over the years about how those are, they're sometimes a little bit weird about it. Bucks credited with 13 on four of eight shooting hawks 10 on three of three yeah. but then when you go to they're way the, too conservative in what right. they consider a fast break point to, yeah. to be clear yeah but when you go to cleaning the glass milwaukee ran on 20 percent of their kind of opportunities it's one way of putting it uh 20 frequency it's like what percentage of their possessions are transition plays and that was 11 percent for atlanta and milwaukee had a 139 offensive rating in transition which was a 90 for atlanta so if you kind of go into the if you think about it that way it was one huge way and, and I mean, Elena was pretty terrible in transition defense, but the Bucks something that they did well, they 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 ran more off of live rebounds. They, you know, they were able to, to push it a little bit more. And of course, they did some good work off of steals as well. And taking advantage, you know, of what they were doing before of somebody contest a shot. There was one with Bobby Portis that was particularly me- memorable where Portis contested, I think it was Trey, and just worked his way down the floor and got hit with the, got hit with the pass and got two fouls, got two free throws. And like, it is such a basic kind of thing. And we've seen, you know, you and I think of it as the Anthony Davis, just because he's the most kind of the most effective player at it because LeBron and because AD is a wonderful post-up guy. But the Bucks were able to get a real buffer because of those sorts of efforts and those sorts of reads. Yeah, that extended to the offensive glass. Yes. Where... Again, the Bucks were not only was it the percentage of offensive rebounds, those are relatively even, but second chance points, 12 offensive rebounds, 
and 23 second chance points on those 12 offensive rebounds and a lot of those are kick out threes too you know it's not necessarily they're going right back up and tipping them in as it was more often in the last game it just seemed like every time they kicked out uh, well Nate, you want to know three. the craziest the craziest stat on that oh yeah milwaukee's points per points per possession on offensive rebounds do you know it it's gonna be over two huh 2.29 yeah that's pretty insane and um, the Bucks also kind of kept the Hawks in it a little bit with turnovers, uh, but both teams actually had 11 steals in this yeah. game. So the fast break was a little bit more uh, of a component there. I thought Kevin Herter really killed the Hawks in this game in the second half. First half, I thought he actually was pretty decent on defense and he ended up with four steals. He had a, a block as well. Maybe that was credited as a steal, but he was, was a team steal. worst. Yeah, he was a team worst, negative 22. And just he got lit up by Middleton right at the start of the third and had a number of very open threes, including during that early third quarter period that he just could not knock down. He was only one out of six. So that really hurt Bogdanovich. It was interesting that the last two games without Trey, he's gotten up like 12 and 14 threes. He only got up five. It was also, we talked about this last time that the Bucks were not switching unless it was an on-ball screen and the Hawks tried to get some stuff going for Bogdanovich off the ball. None, none of that really worked. Like he had uh, Trey threw away a pass where someone got in the passing lane and then Bogdanovich drove in and got blocked by Lopez. So they weren't really able to take advantage of any kind of off ball movement at all. And, you know, credit to the Bucks and their good defenders for being able to get through those screens, which they have had plenty of practice at over the years, you know, going up against Duncan Robinson this year, for example. And I think another takeaway from this, which will be fascinating when we we're not previewing the NBA finals tonight but when we think about it is Bobby Portis got justifiably played off the floor in the second round by the Nets who are a terrible matchup for him and Portis needed to step into a larger role with Giannis out and this wasn't his best game I, I, I think that game five was a much better performance for Portis but he kept kept pushing and was able to get to the free throw line got some offensive rebounds and was not massacred on defense and for Milwaukee like competent play outside of Brooke Lopez for a big was game-changing no that's definitely true and they didn't do very well in the minutes when he played at center sure tonight Lopez actually was a by far the, oh, the best I mean, plus minus guy plus 25 in 39 minutes so they made I, a lot of their comebacks with Lopez off the floor I was going a little bit crazy and it was the later stretch of the second quarter when um so Milwaukee had pushed it out I think the biggest lead they had around that time was nine and then uh Lopez came out they had Portis at center and the Hawks go on a run almost immediately and then they kind of keep on threatening gets around two three kind of in that range and Lopez is just still not on the floor and I'm like is does Budenholzer realize that he's like that he's available that he's around and then I, I and yeah that did there were a couple of moments when they were on their comebacks like god he should be out there but then Lopez still ended up like with 39 minutes and maybe you could have portioned that a little bit differently but the overall workload is totally reasonable for for what he brings to the team yeah I mean there are very few games in his career recently when he's played that many minutes and particularly considering that he had to guard so many smalls uh, on the yes. perimeter again i thought he did a pretty good job of that uh trey was able to get by him a couple of times man trey like no one has figured out how to stop that move where trey goes between his legs and then accelerates out of that move like nobody can stay in front of that move for some reason back when i could actually handle the ball i used to do that move too it actually worked really great <laughs> for even me at that point i don't know what it is about that move that kind of just like makes people fall asleep i guess because actually i think i know what it is it's that 
when you go front to back with the dribble between your legs it kind of seems like you're going backwards like there's it lulls the defender into a false sense of security that just because the ball is going backwards that you are going backwards but you're not really like you you're still in the same place so you can just kind of accelerate out of that and the defender kind of will like rise up a little bit thinking that you're going backwards that's probably what it is but uh so jeff teague by the way long time object of bucks fans ire three of three from downtown uh, i mean still only plus one but to get 12 minutes out of him i think was really important for them particularly because Bryn forbes uh, i thought continued to struggle uh, in most facets of the game and he got three wide open threes one of them off an offensive rebound and just was comfortable taking that spot up with uh, plenty of time and space so you know Jeff is uh, not the greatest player. You do have four fouls in 12 minutes, but when you go three of three from downtown and score 11 points in 12 minutes, it's tough to totally kill your team. Yeah, they they survived it. I mean, and, and Teague making those shots was important. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see him make any like specifically terrible plays either. And also, there were the a fact couple. That, there were a couple bad defensive plays, and and there was yeah. one like he got he got burned where he, Teague made a great pass to PJ Tucker, and PJ Tucker had one of had one of the most epic record scratches in a while where he had the ball <laughs> and he looked at the three point line, he looked at the shot and then he dribbled in and then had nothing and then passed the ball out to i think it was Connaughton or something oh yeah there was the ultimate pj possession in the third quarter where he's standing in the dunker spot or uh maybe more accurately the floater spot in his case and uh his man collins comes in totally mucks up what the bucks are doing they throw it to pj down there he can't do anything they kick out contested three and then of course he gets the offensive rebound over like three guys and kicks it out for a, a three i think uh and uh and they drain it you know that was like the pj tucker offensive experience in a nutshell yeah another player we haven't brought up at all during this is john collins and collins he continues to be confounding for me partially because he does certain things that i really like you brought it up during the game that he like the touch on some of his mid-rangers and floaters is really impressive but it's also like what the hell is he going to be on a like on on a you know like the the role that is ideal for him is very challenging if you have high aspirations obviously lower ones would be totally fine so i really like john collins and I want to see where his game goes but it's funny like every every time I see him I get more intrigued and also like sometimes just still still facing the same challenges that I have with him since you know he was a prospect yeah I mean I guess you and I disagree on this a little bit because I think this has been a very positive oh I would say it's been, po- it's been positive it's just that when you think about kind of like him as a 25 million dollar player versus him as a you know that that sort of thing not he's he's good yeah. he's impressed me to be sure yeah you know I just I, I think you wonder whether he could be more on offense than he is uh but defensively i think think that's yeah yeah i mean defensively is where you have just been impressed by him and you know he even had like plays where he's guarding middleton when he was hot on a switch and did okay so i think like his ability to do that uh and being the main guy in tobias harris which okay you know what like maybe he's not gonna switch out on a kd or something but as far as just a a guy you can defend the perimeter against you know guys like harris and middleton that's that's proving something to me and i thought actually the hawks could have considered as they're continuing their comeback going with more collins at center they only really did it very briefly in this game and i just remembered because trey went right down the lane he got shoved and missed a lefty layup that he probably should have made and got free throws in the last five minutes i'm like oh why was that the lane so open oh yeah brooke lopez was like guarding john collins at the arc and then they they ended up going back to capella and obviously the hawks shooting 43 percent from two that was a, a big problem of theirs in this one but it would be a fascinating off season now 
for the Hawks, uh, but I think for them in particular, it's just going to be as the upset darlings. We've seen this happen with some teams before where they go further than perhaps they should have or further than their expectations were and there's going to be a feeling that they now are supposed to build on this when in reality even getting back to this point will be exceedingly difficult yeah i mean there there are certain parallels to the blazers team that made it to the western conference finals a couple of years ago where you know you have have some easier than expected opponents but also you know playing well but i think what's different about the hawks is that they have this young group that can can they have a lot of internal improvement potential and they also have a pretty solid contract structure you know the some of the bigger money to like Gallinari it's only for a couple of years so they can they can handle that now Trey Young is going to get a lot more expensive very soon too but I think that the the idea of like some one of the ways that you and I like to distill this is basically like what the Hawks were the blank best team in the in their conference this year and I mean I don't think you know there, there's no credible way to put them higher than fourth when you consider the top three yeah. the top three teams there and if you consider some of the other injuries and everything else well well they did beat the supposed number one team so I, I think that that would be a credible way well no I just mean in terms of like the regular season and everything else like yeah did yeah. they, they did they did beat the sixers in the playoffs and and mb did play more of that series than i expected um but i i'm maybe a little bit more optimistic just because i think there's room for i mean and players as good as trey young is as young as he is generally continue to improve and i do think that the chain the welcome necessary changes that are coming and officiating might hurt trey more than almost anybody but he'll do he'll have other tricks like he's a talented guy it's not going to be and he's so good at passing and and his if his shot can get even a little bit better that would be very important for them so i do think it's important for ownership and travis Lang to kind of get where they are and, and and embrace that because the other really fascinating question for them this isn't to jump into their offseason preview it's just one of the basic tenants is willingness to pay the tax willingness to commit financially and this is a summer where john collins and trey young's theoretical extension though i don't think there's as much wiggle room there um could really affect that you know and if, if you they're probably more willing to match a lucrative offer on collins now than they were before not only because collins played so well but also because this is now a team worth spending on in maybe a different way than they would have been if they had gotten knocked out in the second by the sixers yeah and you know what else too this may actually in the end hurt john collins chances of getting an offer sheet because now teams would be like oh yeah they're, obviously they're gonna match it like they just made it to the conference finals but also let's remember they basically didn't have reddish this year they didn't have hunter uh, yep. this year in the playoffs you know that's so adding that element to this team it will be i think really nice as well so you know it's very possible it could be a better team next year and just not quite make it as far if they got to deal with full strength brooklyn and you expect that miami and boston will probably be better next year as well uh indiana will be better now they'll of course everyone will have their injuries uh, as we've come to expect here but yeah we'll talk about the milwaukee bucks and the phoenix suns uh, hopefully we'll get a little more clarity on Giannis's injury uh, before for the series but probably we'll, we'll do our picks for that on monday but man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife
wife and I ordered that mattress, we ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Now a chance to talk about a very, very interesting offseason, and that is the Miami Heat. And while the stars in their eyes of Giannis Antetokounmpo never materialized, he signed the extension, and they also have a bunch of free agents. This is a team that could be pretty interesting. I guess there's a reason we're doing this one on the public pod. Uh, but let's uh, let's talk about their financial situation first. Yeah, so the Miami Heat still have some of the flexibility that has been important for Pat Riley at times in the past. And and a big bright reason for that is that they have lucrative team options on both Goran Dragic and Andre Iguodala. Iguodala's, the team option on him is worth $15 million. And for Dragic, it's 19.4. And for both those players, theoretically, they could decline the options and then re-sign them using bird rights. But the problem there is that you don't really get any, you know, it'd be hard for them to clear cap space. And that's the big number that you need to think about for, for Miami is they could stay over the cap. Absolutely. They could do that. They could pick up one or both of those team options. They could retain Oladipo, Ariza. You know, they have a lot of talented players on this team. The other path is to clear cap space. And with Bam Adebayo signing his extension, and, you know, that's kicking in for 21-22. Jimmy Butler's making $36 million next year. The Heat, they're looking without any, like, kind of supplementary moves, and you have to fill out your roster spots and everything. I have them at about $20 million in space. And... 20 million in space isn't super enticing, but 20 million in space could be very useful, especially for a team that has recruited players before. Yeah, and you, your other variables there are, I mean, they have almost nobody under contract. It's easier to list who they do have under contract. Sure. Butler at 36. Bam at 28. Tyler Hero at 4. Precious Achua 2.7. And then they got Casey Akpala, uh at uh, 1.8 uh they also have five million dollars of stretched ryan anderson on the books still remember they had to do that so that they could bring in butler in the sign and trade and stay under the apron back in the summer of 2019 so they got one more year of the ryan anderson stretch and so then the other variables are the restricted free agencies of duncan robinson and kendrick dunn both of those players met the starter criteria uh 
and therefore have cap holds of 4.7 million none people have reported including john hollinger that you know he's expected to get something in terms of a you know four-year deal and well into eight figures per season which if that's the case i would want to say goodbye except that you can also just hold on to that 4.7 million and then sign him to whatever you want to and in fact they could even in re-signing robinson or none they could pull the qualifying offer first get those cap holds down way lower then those guys cap holds are just the minimum and so that would if they did that with both of those guys then you could open up up to about 29 million in space by doing that Uh, yeah and so so just as as a note what you'd be doing there theoretically is making one or both of those players unrestricted free agents however you've agreed to a deal with them so they're on the risk of losing them is nil basically unless you get a marcus morris situation right and the reason for that is is when your cap hold is the larger of either your qualifying offer or what your normal cap hold would be in the case of guys who were drafted in the first round their normal cap hold is way bigger it's either 250 or 300 percent of their prior salary so that's almost always bigger than their qualifying offer i think it technically is always bigger under that regime but for robinson and nunn their qualifying offer because they hit the starter criteria is 4.7 million that's way bigger than their normal cap hold would be which would just be basically the minimum because they're coming off a minimum contract so just you use the restricted free agent process obviously but if as long as they don't get an offer sheet you can just come to an agreement with them on a contract and maybe you have to give them a little bit extra in that contract to come to that agreement and then just as a technicality you pull the qualifying offer their cap hold goes way down you can then sign all the guys that you want to sign with that space and then last you sign them to the contract that that they want so it's just the order of operation just a very cute cap hold maneuvering so they can essentially keep robinson and none and really have you know in the 27 28 million dollar range uh, and, and, the, cap di- and the, the difference between 20 million and 27 is pretty significant in this class when you think about some of the players that are available and before we get into the free agents i think it's just worth taking a brief second to think about whether there is a cogent rationale for staying over like I, it's funny that the heat have so many talented players on their roster from Dragic and Iguodala and this team made the NBA finals and you know you could argue that it could have been a real series it would have been a real series if there hadn't been significant injuries early in that NBA finals so yeah letting- but, but Dragic is uh he's a little bit different of a player than he was at that point he is and Iguodala I would would argue is as well and yeah I mean there's no way there's no way they're going to, I, I, well they're, they're clearly going to decline both those options like they have to do that before free agency even yeah. starts and and also the you could even theoretically retain those if, if things went horrendously wrong and you couldn't do anything else with cap space you could retain one or both of those guys I mean you played paid them over the years and I mean year plus in Iguodala's case but the other so so that's one thing I agree with you i think that there is a chance that they function as an over the cap team just because if the market dries up a little or the options dry up a little bit on the unrestricted market but i doubt it but the other kind of lingering thing a little bit with me and i think this probably gets resolved with with robinson returning should he is there is a faint possibility that miami could instead get in the 2022 market 
And the reason you would do that is because the free agents are way better. And at that point, you know, basically there isn't really that much of a change in Miami's current books. Theoretically, they could then either Jimmy Butler could opt out and leave or you could opt in and you could move on if you want to. But the reason why I think that's interesting is because Miami does have this group of young talent. I mean, for Bam is definitely in that group. We'll see what Hero and Precious Achua are this coming season. I don't think Pat Riley's going to do that. I don't think he wants to push the can down the road one more time. But there is a little bit, you know, they've always been star hunting in the 22 class could be, well, it almost definitely will be way better than 21 unless Kawhi Leonard opts out and actually considers leaving. Yeah, Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer talked about Kawhi's free agency and said that Miami and Dallas are expected to be the suitors for him, although there's not necessarily an expectation that he's going to leave. But basically, even if they got rid of every single thing that wasn't tied down, and had two players under contract with Butler and Bam, they could only get to 33.8 million in cap space. And Leonard's starting salary would be 39.3 million. And so essentially, even if they wanted to put in a trade, like I don't know that there's any way that I see, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, that he could be on this team next year. And I mean, you, you probably have, I don't see there's a way that he could be on the team and Jimmy Butler and, and Bam both are as well. Right, right. Well, and, and be making his max of 39 yes. he would have to take less i think that's the well and and remember have. that Kawhi taking less is very different because it's not they don't have bird rights so it's not a situation where you know like kevin durant let's say where you take less for one year and then you can get back up to your max or close to it like well, well he would, could i mean if, if as long as he was within 20 percent of what his max would be next yes year, with 20 percent a, a four-year deal so i mean if you know if he's at uh 33 million something then he's probably fine but i mean the the general pattern has been that guys guys who change teams that are max players don't get less than the max i guess you know there's the maybe you could take get in some unlikely bonuses or something like that you know you can kind of work along the margins there like the nets did with Kyrie and kd to fit in deandre jordan and and it wouldn't be the first time the heat messed around with unlikely bonuses but even you putting like robinson and nunn in a sign and trade would be difficult because you would run into base year rules given how little they were making before so their outgoing number wouldn't be as high um to match salary with and you know so so they really it, it would be very difficult for them to get Leonard he would have to really 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 want to be there and obviously his health situation you wonder about too I mean maybe maybe if he's if he has a torn ACL and he wants to go rehab in Miami and just get paid 33 million just for that next year and then they sign him to a new deal afterwards you know maybe that could be it but well well, so what do you think though about my 22 idea for Miami it would be hard it'd be painful um they may I mean maybe they can clear you know cap magic of of Andy Ellsberg they could clear it then but do you think it's worth it to potentially roll those dice for 22 instead of spending, let's call it 27 million this year? Yeah, so in theory, they would have a little bit more next year with Anderson coming off the books, but a lot of that eaten up by the raises for Butler and for Adebayo. I wouldn't say it's worth it as well. I think you're you're better off trying to compete this year. I mean, now what you might say is, hey, we'll use that 27 million and we'll sign Kyle Lowry to uh, a one-year year deal for 27 million dollars with a second year team option 
Oh, they yeah, love maybe. the second year team option. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe that's uh, but I think Lowry could get more than that and I don't think Lowry would want to sign there in that structure knowing that they the whole point of them doing it is so that they could replace him, right? Like he's I think he's going to have three-year offers out there. Um and- Well, and also while the 2022 class is enticing, I mean it has all potentially any or all of the Brooklyn trio and then potentially Bradley Beal, potentially, you know, Steph Curry and then a bunch of restrictions for agents, which I don't think necessarily matter in this exercise. I don't think there's anybody that is simultaneously both like a really good fit for the Heat and look. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us looking like they're going to be playing somewhere else now would bradley beal would obviously help miami but i don't think that beal is so much better for the next let's say four years that you say let's give up the chance of getting somebody who could really move the needle for us and let's talk about some of those players who could move the needle for the miami heat i think a lot of them are point guards but theoretically the heat could go in a different direction if they want yeah well and the other reason it makes sense to use your space this year is because then you could retain robinson and none on those with the yes. cap gymnastics that, that we talked about and so if you go in next year then you're in a situation where you're not going to be able to do that necessarily you have to you would have to jettison those guys and those guys are assets i mean none maybe less so you know he could i i could see none getting an offer where they're just like all right we're not keeping this guy around the other thing to consider too is just the oh like if you say duncan robinson is going to get 20 million a year uh and then you use all your cap space you're basically at the tax right at that point and you know they could pay the tax uh next year potentially but that's uh that's an interesting one as well i mean what do you see as the markets being for robinson and none i mean let's figure that out and we can well all right no here let's start this let's say they bring those guys back and really you a point guard who can shoot is what you need right i mean that's why lowry is such a good fit there conley could be an interesting one for them too particularly if you bring none back then you can hopefully limit conley's minutes you know to play back to back maybe you can make it through dinwiddie uh, I mean, would probably be a decent fit there too, although maybe a little bit less so than those other guys. I think Dinwiddie, 
I, I like Dinwiddie. A lot of places have been banging the drum for him to go to Dallas for a little while now. And, but I think we saw in the playoffs that we're, we're you know, Jimmy Butler will, will be better in future playoffs than he was this year. But Well, it would I, be pretty impossible for him not to be. Exactly. But I think that it should be a reminder for their Miami front office that they, they need another creator. And Dinwiddie, I like him in certain things, but I also like him playing, I, I, you know, might be good in the immediate with somebody like Butler so he can be a little bit on ball be a little bit off ball but theoretically the player that you're signing now one of the theories of it is that they can can go it alone and I liked Dinwiddie a lot but it's putting it's putting a lot on his shoulders especially when he's coming back from this ACL injury I would seriously consider him and we'll see what the market for Dinwiddie is compared to Lowry and Conley but I think both Lowry and Conley are great fits with them in a way that that Dinwiddie isn't quite and Dennis Schroeder definitely is not yeah, because Butler and Bam can't shoot. You, know, you can't. Right. You got to have plus shooting at the other three positions. But yeah, let's talk about the markets for Robinson and Nunn. And Robinson, somewhat of a disappointing playoffs, and he does get attacked defensively. But there are many teams and so few free agents. We talked about teams that I think would be pretty interested in him, where he would be a nice fit. And the skill set that he has. I mean, he wasn't as incandescent this year, but just to have uh, be a guy that you can run plays for that the defense really has to respect that is very valuable and he basically takes just about the most i think yeah he takes the highest number of three-pointers uh per nba.com that are considered to be tight coverage so like both i think within zero to two feet and two to four feet he takes the most of those he's got pretty good size he can shoot on the move he gets fouled from three a lot too because guys are freaking out about him and he's a very 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 good offensive player and much as you might say all right is he really going to be that great at the highest levels assuming that the highest levels actually come back and are the highest levels again in the future uh, that and I think even in like if you look at that series in the West, you know he would have really struggled to survive defensively uh, when he's being attacked in isolation with a, a team that's good spacing. But still, I mean, as a solid regular season player, and if you have if he's just your one bad guy, then maybe you just don't switch with them and you deal with it. You know, there aren't that many teams that can kill you with a you know a three one pick and roll or whatever it's going to be. So yeah, I mean he's still a very valuable player, and I think you know high teens to twenty million is about where I see it for him because he's a better shooter than basically any of these shooters who've been getting contracts lately yeah and while there are concerns because robinson's already you know he's 27 but i think his defense isn't going to get much worse his offense you know his offense is going to age relatively well yeah so and they do have full bird right they can go a fifth year on him too if they wanted to generally that skill set ages and even improves more as time goes on he doesn't have a lot of miles on him I don't think he's had many injuries that I can remember. So, you know, maybe if you go the fifth year, you can get that per year number down a little bit. But as we mentioned, it really behooves them to come to an agreement with him early because you get an extra basically three million bucks in cap space. Yeah, absolutely. And with none, I still wonder, as not the first time this has been the case, which of the relatively few teams that have spending power over the $9.5 million non-taxpayer mid-level, which of those teams is really going to prioritize him a lot? lot of that that group has a primary ball handler in the mix charlotte dallas i mean i mean we'll see i think detroit either has it or is 
thinks they're going to get it at the, with the first pick in the draft. Memphis doesn't really need that. And then you're looking at like the Thunder, who I don't think are particularly interested in none. Maybe, maybe the Knicks or the Spurs or the Raps, but I don't really expect it. I, I don't think there's a clear cut suitor. Now, I, I would assume that Hollinger and the others have more intel than I do, but, and a lot of times when I'm skeptical of a player's market, they end up getting it. Hello, D'Angelo Russell. But I don't know exactly what it is. Yeah, I mean, we've seen some agents definitely kind of bullshit about this stuff uh i don't recall this particular agent doing that before uh you know he, he got a pretty good number for christian wood last year uh, adam pensack so uh, we'll see i mean i i for if it were my money i consider none to be a backup guard who i'd be wanting to pay in the six to nine million dollar per year range but uh that may change but yeah i mean i think you're just part of being the miami heat is that you don't want to get stuck with bad contracts on the other hand you might just say hey we want contracts that we can trade so let's uh, get some salary on the books here and car- kind of part of their problem right now is they don't really have any of those mid-size salaries they signed Dragic and Iguodala to those contracts in part for that reason and if uh, and also by the way if Dragic or Iguodala gets opted in by the heat then you know something is up there's a trade far, yeah that they're that they're uh, some big trade is happening and uh, where the heat are giving up enough assets that this team is willing to take on Dragic at 19 or Iguodala at 15 so uh and, and of course that would indicate that there was any tampering well i mean it could even be a trade for a player who's under contract you know there's no tampering involved there it could be that they you know it doesn't have to just be a sign and trade it could be a no. trade yeah and actually if they opt them in they could even technically trade them this league year as sure. well if they, if they wanted to do that um i mean is there any number for duncan robinson that would make you say sayonara 25 yeah because the chance the chances that he is a positive kind of a positive value contract at the number are so low even with the cap rising over the next couple of years at yeah, that but point, not by I that much i mean by the end it might be pretty high though right I, the new tv yeah. deal is going to kick in it's so, like by the, if especially if it's a longer deal that might be another reason to try him for the five years as well and just spread that hit out longer yeah 25 is a lot though i, I mean i think if there's a team with that aggressive an interest level then maybe you see if you can work a sign of trade or something same thing with none so let's say they can't get Lowry. They can't get Mike Conley. They don't want Dinwiddie. I mean, bringing back Dragic wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, I think, at that point, even though he is 35. And maybe he'd take a little less to come back. I don't know exactly what Dragic is prioritizing, but if he's ha- he's been in Miami a while now, if he's happy to be on the team and they've been very judicious with his minutes and, and everything else, I, it wouldn't stun me depending on where the market is. If I would guess that Dragic is going to be Let's include Chris Paul for this. I, I, it would be stunning if he were higher than the fourth or fifth priority for any team. So maybe there isn't that that fantastic situation team that's going to pay him more than $10 million a year. So maybe he takes a little less and comes back. Another name that I think would be very interesting for the Heat, although obviously this is a guy at 31 whose stock is never going to be higher and you're definitely buying high in him, is Reggie Jackson, where they could offer more than the Clippers could with their early bird rights if they wanted to. But the Clippers would probably be willing to beat them on the years because again they just can't lose that asset whereas Miami has other options and probably isn't going to want to go that many years for a 31 year old but his shooting is a nice fit next to Butler his ISO game and I think they can deal with his defense reasonably well we say this about every team but Patty Mills would be another really nice one for these guys I think they also still have a a big need at the stretch for the same thing that bedeviled them all year this year and you could argue that that's just as important if not more important than 
getting uh, something at point guard and with 27 million to work with maybe you can get I mean you still would struggle to get like a premium option at point guard they can trade their 2028 first rounder after the draft um or I guess they are what are they out here they're out oh yeah they can trade they can even trade before that because they've just got this lot of protected first to OKC so that it's technically they can trade a pick that would probably go sooner but could what would be at least sure to go by 2020 because yeah. that pick becomes unprotected in 2026 that they owe to OKC but realistically with it being a lot of protected it probably gets conveyed sooner and they could even in theory trade two first round picks there would just be a possibility that the other team wouldn't get one or they could also remove the protection on the pick to OKC and then they could trade uh they would still only be able to trade two first round picks at that point so that's that's another thing that they could think about and they also could potentially trade Tyler Hero as well and I thought it was pretty eye-opening that Ethan Skolnick who's always really plugged in down there said that he thinks there's a 75% chance that Tyler Hero is going to get traded yeah that's really interesting especially considering this was not the most inspiring end to Hero's season well that might be why (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it could I, be. I, I mean, and yeah, maybe I mean, that's selling low, but... Yeah, remember there was that report a bit ago that his partying really had gotten out of control. I can't remember those from Ethan as well, but that was... Both of those are very concerning situations, I guess, for the Heat. And, and if he's... They think that he's just too big for his britches and he's not... Uh, he's outgrown Heat culture and maybe they feel like he's just not going to develop, then you might as well move him while he has some value. Although moving him when he had more value than that might have been helpful. I was advocating for that because I thought he was one of the more overrated players. And not to say that he can't be better than he was this year, but that's uh, it, it, they seem to have grown somewhat frustrated with him. And Precious to Chew, I, I would say that to me, he would have kind of late first round value and uh, on the market. So in theory, they could trade two first round picks and Hero and Achua. And, you know, they would have Dragic and Iguodala they could use as matching salary if there were a player out there. But Damian Lillard would be a nice, nice fit with these guys. Oof. That that wouldn't be a bad Beal, package. Beal would be a good fit with them too. Yeah. Although, I, I mean, there's seems to be more i don't know that either of these guys are going to be available obviously but they they could get in the mix you know is that better than a golden state package of wiseman 7 and 14 and i guess wiggins yeah i i the beholder on that one i guess um their problem though they're really uh, pj tucker was someone that they're rumored to be into he would be a pretty good fit although he is a such a limited shooter like he'd fit in great in their switching system but uh, you would like someone who's can at least shoot it above the break three a little bit more I actually think Blake Griffin wouldn't be terrible here as a, kind of a skill guy. They hopefully have some pieces around him. Again, this is going to be very, or Paul Millsap could be another one, but they're still, they're not going to find someone who's as good as Jay Crowder still, you know, and yeah. uh, you know, they do have Ariza as a, they have bird rights on him if they want to pay him. I, mean, I guess that's part of your stay over is like, all right, then you could bring back Ariza and Bielitsa. We haven't mentioned the name Victor Oladipo yet. It sounds like he's not necessarily even going to play next year but i could see them bringing him back on just kind of like a, a minimum just to keep him in the building and then it wouldn't They'd cost have his you bird anything rights. yeah the, yeah i mean it would be nice because it wouldn't cost you anything to keep him basically in terms of your cap space this year to just sign him to a minimum and then you keep him around he's in the building and then if everything goes well you can try to bring him back for a larger price he would be uh, next year because they'd still have bird rights even though he went down to the minimum that's about all, all i have on the do you have anything else that's, that's um, where i 
Otto Porter might be an interesting reclamation project here. Kelly Oubre could be interesting for these guys. Batum would also be fascinating, I think, too. You don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be a four. You could have Butler kind of play the four defensively and, and just a, more of a three in that position as well. And, and then, you know, there's your Wes Matthews, Tory Craig type of level of guy also. But I think I think that's about all I got. I, I've So it just gut feeling here. Did the Heat get a, a major free agent? Do they make ma- major changes next year? I don't I don't think they make major changes but I think they get a significant free agent I think they get one of the point guards Lowry or Conley yeah yeah between them and New York and supposedly Philly is interested in a sign and trade well and their home teams and their home teams and Dallas as well there's gonna be a lot of competition for those guys those guys I think are gonna get paid pretty anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a show room rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user in our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us damn good are you going to talk evan mobley here speaking of college and college players yeah let's get to mobley and can start with a little bit of background on mobley he uh his the best measurements i could find it you know it's always hard with guys especially who didn't do the combine stuff to, to get these but mobley seven foot 210 pounds with a seven four wingspan or thereabouts you know yeah. you take that with a grain of salt i standing reach was the best i could see too which is sure it was actually surprisingly low to me you know mm-hmm. usually usually like a, a big center prospect with a big wingspan like that you'd expect more in the nine three type of range you know for reference like gobert and mo bomb are like nine seven that's just that's like crazy this is probably more you know despite the seven four wingspan despite when you watch you're like holy shit this guy's got long arms um that's not a huge standing standing reach uh you know maybe he just has a long neck or something or you know it could also just be a an old measurement or it's wrong or something like that but that's that's something to keep in mind We'll, we'll come back to that yeah we will um and then a little bit of background on mobley uh College freshman, but he turned 20 earlier this month. His dad, Eric Mobley, went to Pitt, played a little bit of center, was a first-round pick for the Bucs. Um, both Evan and his five-star older brother, Isaiah Mobley, went to Rancho Christian in Temecula, which is which is outside of L.A., and Evan Mobley won California High School Player of the Year as a junior and a senior, joining Drew Holiday as the only player ever to win that award twice. He was either third or fourth in the major high school recruit rankings behind Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, and sometimes Jonathan Kaminga. Green and Kaminga went to the G League Unite. Cunningham went to Oklahoma State. 
So I'm a little rusty on these. We haven't done one in a while. So I'm kind of like, where where do I want to start? I, I guess, you know, he's obviously very thin. Played with a, another big. The thing that kind of stuck out to me about him is, well, no, I, I don't want to get to that yet. Let's talk about I have his, a place that we can his, start. I'm sorry? I have a place that we can start. Please. Mobley, it made me a little bit frustrated that we didn't watch film of Bam Adebayo in college because there hasn't been a player for me who has a, of a big like and i've you know you can go back and look at my stuff at real gm and all that i've been i've been obsessing over big man prospects for a long time now there hasn't been a player for me as a big who has had a larger margin between like what they could be if everything works out like the theory of him on offense and defense if like both of those hit if you get you know you get you know you, you both of those lottery tickets hit versus not the like worst case scenario, but like the 50% scenario. And the reason why that is, is that there's a lot of really intriguing elements of Evan Mobley's game. I think there are a lot of people who are tantalized by Mobley offensively, and that's justified. Like we'll get to some of that there. But he's, to me, what, what struck me so much with Mobley is that I expected to be more confident in like what he is and what he will be than I ended up being. I'm glad you said that because I feel the same way. I really, you know, you and I are both opinionated people, maybe one of us even more so than the other, but generally I, I have a pretty good feel. I have a pretty good opinion. I don't have much certainty on Evan Mobley. Certainly there are very many things to like, very many things you can talk yourself into. There also aren't necessarily like huge weaknesses either where you're just like, oh man, this could be a big problem for him. There's maybe a couple, everybody has weaknesses, but there's, you know, he's not a guy where you're like, oh man, that's really glaring. And he doesn't have a very easy comp. I would no. say either, you know, I can't really come up with that. So he could be this guy. It's like, oh man, like this guy just has such a high skill level and he's so long and he can block shots and he's smooth. He's got pretty good basketball IQ, I would say as well. So yeah, like you said, if that player really hits, then you're like, oh man, this guy really, really dominating player. Uh, so I, I think where I want to start here is his position because that is really going to determine a lot. And you, you mentioned the physical profile. He Obviously, we always say, hey, if you can play center, if you can play up, that's that's your best position. You want as versatile of a center as you could possibly get. And you could go back to Jaron Jackson Jr. as somewhere like, oh yeah, obviously, like his position is center. And that may some be the case someday in the future. We're now three years out from him. He's had some injury issues, but he's also had some issues that haven't really allowed him to play center. And he also was a really good shot blocker, but you know, he hasn't really been that good defensively yet. So I, I just see there's a little bit of Jaron in him. I think his feel is way better um than jaron's uh, and that's something to keep in mind but as thin as he is i you know i think he'll probably be able to play center and i also you know one of the things that i've missed on is skinny prospects just not giving them enough credit for how much they can improve but he is he might be a little different than like you know a Giannis or a brandon ingram because he does have to play inside you know i think like mo bamba and bull bull for example are guys who i think they're how thin they are has been an impediment to them so far and he does actually nobody does have like a little bull bull in him too uh, i think on the offensive end um, <laughs> yeah he does uh, you know but uh, he's way better than him obviously i would say but so that's the question to me do you think that 
that he it's like a no-brainer that he'll just be able to play center in more than like spot minutes in the future yes pretty much yeah. but I, I think that what for me the that part of the Mobley experiment I'm not I'm not as concerned about because there's a, I think about Bam a lot with Mobley not because they're the same physically or anything else but because I think they're two sides of a similar coin and what I mean by that is Mobley is I think he's too thin and I think he always will be like he doesn't have the type of frame that he's going to get a lot like huge like yeah. he, he, may, he can get maybe strong yeah. in his arms he but also like, has, he has really long legs really high he has, center he has skinny legs yeah I, I thought you were going to mention a high butt really early in this well I, 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 don't, so I don't use that particular term but uh, I but, use the term high yeah. center of gravity uh, sure yeah and and so like like he just gets moved by dudes like he gets moved by yeah. six foot five guards sometimes and that's it's a little bit jarring but the things that Mobley is more limited by defensively are becoming less relevant, but not irrelevant in the NBA. You know, like, okay, if he can't stop Joel Embiid, you can scheme around that. But what I, what, so I bring up Bam is this, this duality with Mobley that I generally feel good about, but not as good as I wanted to, which is I've criticized Bam Adebayo for years as being better as a switch defender than he is as a rim protector. That he can't, that he, he can do both things, but he's better at switching. I think of Mobley as the opposite, which is he can do both things, but he's better at protecting the rim than he is at switching. And that actually, I think, ties in better with the modern NBA than what Bam does on the simple logic that you need somebody to protect the rim. And Mobley's thinking about that a little bit more. He gets a little spacey on switches and all that type of stuff. But I sort of like the idea of somebody who can switch a little bit. He has these short, choppy steps. We'll get into that a little bit. But who is probably better doing the traditional center stuff other than the like strength stuff. And like, I, I think you could slot that in. And the other guy that I thought about a lot when watching Mobley defensively, not comparing the two, of course, is DeAndre Ayton, where I'm more concerned about Ayton's limitations as the game evolves, even though Ayton got these two incredibly favorable matchups defensively in the first two yeah. rounds, than I am in some ways for Mobley, even though, you know, like just with what we talked about, how Ayton has thrived in certain series so far. Yeah, Ayton is, is definitely a, a different guy. To be fair, I think Ayton has been good uh, in conventional pick and roll defense in this Clippers series, but although the Clippers don't have like an unbelievable pick and roll operator. In any event, I'm a little bit worried about Mobley's ability to play center due to being thin. I mean, there is a you do have to guard Joel Embiid you do have to guard you know DeMontis Sabonis like he might be too thin to guard DeMontis Sabonis potentially right I mean now he does have the great yeah, length maybe possible. that can make up a Jokic is gonna kill him you know I think it's it would be really difficult for me to imagine and I think you know maybe he could get to being where like you know Clint Capella is in terms of his strength that's probably like your highest upside I would say Capella though even maybe has like a little bit more of a I thought he had a frame. Capella has a stronger frame that's exactly what I was gonna go with and yeah. I remember like I I would really liked Capella when he was coming out of Europe and I thought he had the I thought he had the frame you know go obviously go bear and stuff too and then the other thing well, that well, let concerns... me let me finish up on, on this position sure thing. sorry um he can't defensive rebound um I mean I, well Ugh. right now I mean he's he'll try to box out like he's not he's not like a wuss like he'll try to be physical with guys on both ends so but he really doesn't pursue the ball well out of his area and yes he was playing with his brother a fair amount of the time but he had under a 20 percent defensive rebound rate which is very poor for any kind of a college big man prospect and you see uh usc as a team had a pretty poor defensive rebound rate. they're pretty much middle of the pack in division one they were 
181st, and there's like 350 teams this is per real GM uh, in defensive rebound percentage as a team. And he was playing 33 minutes a game, so I, I don't know if the on-off numbers, but that's enough where you can say he should have a pretty big effect on that. And he's playing with another big as well. So uh, you, you can't make the argument, oh yeah, he's doing these unbelievable Robin Lopez box outs or something, and, and just watching the film. Oh, and, what, and when you watch the film, he's not. No. He really isn't. No, I mean, he's doing it. He's trying to box out a little bit, but he's not great at it, obviously, due to his frame. And then he's just not really pursuing the ball out of area. And then the other thing I would say, too, even is I don't think he doesn't, you know, he's not like a lazy player or anything. But <laughs> I have lots of thoughts on this. Oh, yeah. But well, OK, but maybe you you we watch different games. But, uh, you know, he doesn't play especially hard. I mean, that was pretty clear to me that he's not he and, and that could change. Obviously, we've seen that happen for players. But, you know, he wasn't like, oh, man, you're just, it, there weren't any plays where like, man, wow, this is really a great effort. Like you ran the floor so hard or like you made like you know, a ton of multiple efforts or like, you know, just flying around the court. You know, you just don't see that. For, he's a very smooth athlete. He's a smart player so he can do it in an economy of motion to be effective but i don't i mean if you have thoughts on that let's let's hear it i only wrote it in all so i, I only wrote on all caps in one general area and my evan mobley notes and it was in the gonzaga game which is the first one i watched they played yeah, Gen- yeah well, you see play gonzaga they got in the ass kicked in that game well yes they did and so early in the game i wrote in all caps does he ever run the floor hard because i started becoming obsessed with that yeah. because when, when i'm watching games especially in the early going i'm just watching a single player so i'm watching every time he's going up and down the floor and mobley is a player who like he kind of his regular pace is kind of a long gallop so it looks a little slower than it is but he and then he did run the floor and then i wrote in all caps he ran the floor hard once it was after a uh, usc steal and not not on mobley steal and he drew foul and then as i watched more film you could see it sometimes in transition usually what activated mobley was him getting the ball in transition like there were a couple times where it's like oh i can dribble and i can push the ball hard i could and a couple of them actually looked really good yeah um well so i got but, some stats for you on that yeah. uh 45 transition possessions you know not amazing they played 33 games so that's like one one and a half a game but then 17 of those are just as the trailer which is basically you're not even running the floor you're just like w- catching a, the ball for a three-pointer at the top of the arc after someone else has pushed the ball up and you know eight of those were as the ball handler which were not good he had a bunch of turnovers uh, on that um you know he can definitely dribble the ball up if you need him to but he's not you know just like pushing it down your throat or anything like that um so first middle is the category and synergy of like what you would traditionally think of of a big man running the floor right like spring the floor you suck in the defense you either get the ball or uh someone has to take you and then you set up a three-pointer for one of your teammates seven possessions in that all year that's terrible that is that is not good at all i mean that you're just and again like he is almost always an economy of movement he plays at a very deliberate pace which i think is good but every once in a while you would see him like really move and you're like oh that's what it looks like when he really moves but that was like twice a game you know so and yeah it was it was it was exceedingly rarely and it actually pissed me off more because you're like oh he can do this he just doesn't very often and i wondered at one point during one of the games i was watching i'm like because I watch, I watch a lot of film before I look at the stats because I think it's good to develop these sure. opinions and all that. I'm like, does he play 40 minutes a game? Because that was one theory I had for why he Mo played a lot of minutes so for, a, for a college big guy. Though. 30, 30, he did. Yeah, 34, 34 is a lot. And and two halves and like some of the stuff with college, but it it was unnerving how little he did that. And then there were also these kind of economies of motion throughout the rest of his game where he kind of floats a little bit yeah. De- defensively. There were, I mean, there were a lot of times where he was just like standing in the paint, and even if his guy is somewhere else, and 
that to me gets into the bigger partial concern that I have with Evan Mobley, which is he has very good physical tools in a lot of ways. Like he's, you know, he has good length. He surprised guys with his length. When you look at the block film, it's a lot, a lot of plays like that, or even like he's a little bit behind, but he, you know, his arms are so long that he's enveloping guys and everything else. But the more I watched, I was a thought that occurred to me in the very beginning when I was started watching unsorted defensive film. And the more I got into it, what I noticed Mobley being more of a reactor than an anticipator. And you can do that and still be a good defender in the NBA, especially if you try hard and you you have good tools. But and also that is something that 19, 20 year olds improve on over the course of their career if they work at it. You know, you you get to what you get more reps, you get to work with intelligent teammates and coaches and everything else. But the big men that I have truly loved as college or international prospects have been better in the in the instinct game. So whether we're talking about Joel Embiid, and a lot of those guys are slower, to be honest, than Evan Mobley. And so they needed the participation. Anthony Davis, even Carl Anthony Towns, who has been a bad defender, and but he just, you know, his defensive film is crazy when you go back Kentucky like his defensive film is pretty good um and then it just didn't happen but with Mobley he doesn't he doesn't do those anticipation plays very often and sometimes his reactions are a little slow like he's on a guy and you know a, a not a, a relative non-threat around the elbow and somebody's dribbling past you know dribbling kind of on the other side of the paint and as a big what you need to be doing is you need to at least be cognizant so you can say okay i need if i take two steps over here i can affect the shot i can force the pass maybe i can maybe he makes the my my cover makes a free throw line jumper if so so be it that's better than giving up a layup and i was stunned at how many times he was in what could have been help position but it was not help position and that was it, it is correctable but it was a concern I don't think I'm as low on, on him as as you are, at least at this point in time. Um, and in, in terms of his instincts, you know, I thought in pick and roll coverage, I thought he was very solid. You know, he did it. Sure conventional pick and roll defense drop coverage did a good job of not letting the big get behind him not trying you know he's not really like fainting towards the ball handler necessarily but he's splitting the angle pretty well he's not getting out of position um you know he's always in position to contest they're not giving it you're not getting easy stuff against him um you know the long arms he did average almost three blocks a game and uh almost a steal a game as well that so but like the nature of his blocks is very interesting because he doesn't ever foul and I, I would have, I, like you, I think I would have liked to see him foul a little bit more, you know, be a little bit more eager and play a little bit harder. Offensive glass too is another effort category. He was pretty mediocre, 9% offensive rebounds, but he does a very good job of contesting without fouling. I mean, this is, I can't yes. remember another guy who had, he averaged 1.8 fouls per game in 34 minutes. I can't remember another big man prospect who fouled that little, and he's still got a fair number of blocks. I mean, he's not quite in your, you know, crazy mobile bomba type of level of blocks but you know still very solid and he he kind of gets some like tim duncan style of blocks he doesn't really leave his feet that much he can get plays in the air sometimes as you mentioned he doesn't like you know cover a lot of ground and make a block necessarily um you know the the verticality was okay you know again i think just because he has an understanding of kind of the angles and like where to be that he could be around guys and affect them a little bit now there are plenty of times 
too when guys would go up over him and you're like oh he's gonna send this shit back and then he just wouldn't now a lot of times the guys would miss anyway because it's college and also he's just got huge long arms perhaps the lower standing reach than you would expect given his wingspan was maybe part of why guys are able to get shots over him off a a little bit more than you would have expected but he also is just kind of staying big staying in front of guys reaching out and getting a fair number of blocks that way so you know i think he does have a lot of defensive potential as a as a post defender he bothered guys like he could definitely kind of get put in the goal a little bit or like you know that guy drew timmy had like a bunch of hook shots on him in the gonzaga game which was you know probably might have been his worst game of the season so i don't want to put and gonzaga was also like unbelievable this year so i don't want to put too much on but he, he certainly could have played better in that game uh, you know he's gonna get put in the goal a little bit i think by nba bigs like we we talked about but i think he's got good timing again like avoided fouling avoids going for pump fakes just like a very smart player like he doesn't get fooled you just don't see him make mistakes I, I would say very often you want to see him make a few more like positive plays and like errors of commission but he doesn't really make any errors of omission very often he does he doesn't and something i liked about mobley so i, I watched the post-up defense after watching kind of unsorted defensive film and he's worse at giving up position than a lot of high-end big men prospects but he's better once the guy settles in than than other you know like saying as you said not fouling you know kind of knowing what he can do to affect the shot the isolation defense which is a rough proxy for you know some of the switching stuff i thought that he generally mobley did a good job you know he can do short choppy steps when he needs to he can get into a stance a little bit more than a lot of guys do there was one that i loved against ucla i think it was in the game they played at the galen center when mobley got into the guy on the switch didn't concede anything and got a big block which was really nice the only criticism and this is something that i think will be correct in time if he goes to a system where it matters is that there were times uh, including i watched the washington state game uh it was in this one but it was also just an in the other film I watched, where Mobley would get a guy on a switch, that player would pass off, but he wouldn't be going back into the paint or anything. He would still be on that guy, and then they would move a little bit and get an open shot. But that can be corrected with time. He's generally close enough to the right spot that I'm not super worried about it. Yeah, again, he's he's not really able to get deep into a stance. You didn't see that. You know, he's not making the guy that he's guarding uncomfortable. That's a lot to ask for a, a lot of college bigs. But yeah, it was very rare that he would just get beaten. He's able to contain. Uh, he's again, it's the economy of movement where he just can kind of stay in front. He can still get a decent contest with his long arms. You know, he's not going to like block someone's shot necessarily uh, on like a you know block a jump shot or something like that. Yeah, like think like no, like Anthony Davis did all the time at Kentucky. Yeah, I mean he he is not Anthony Davis as a defender. I mean Anthony Davis is one of like a generational prospect and i don't think he has quite as quick a feet moving laterally as anthony davis either but you know certainly a guy who i think can be a very impressive defensive player but you know because he's just he's such like a smooth kind of guy on on both ends that you just he's kind of there he's long he's gonna make it a little bit difficult for you but he's not necessarily gonna make the spectacular play he does block shots with both hands but particularly with his left hands uh he's ambidextrous on the offensive end too and so he can get up for a a few big blocks on occasion but again it was more just kind of steady and he's got this huge wingspan and he's just as able to kind of make plays around the rim in college defensively anything else you wanted to say uh on his defense Uh, yeah uh he's mobile is so long that even his late closeouts are pretty good like even when he's yeah. not there quite on time and that 
that is p- powerful in the in the modern NBA. I think that could be there. Um, doesn't I, I? I think of Mobley, you know, like in passing lanes. I didn't think that he had particularly active hands. He did get he did get some steals, it, and I think that again, it's something he he plays reasonably intelligently. I think that's something that you could coach into him. I don't, but it is interesting that like he wasn't, you know, like he didn't get as many deflections as I thought somebody like him would. But it's not like he's horrendous. At Bet three six five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk about the offense now. And I think the actually most impressive skill for him for me was his passing. Uh yes. averaged 2.4 assists per game, which for a college big guy is really good, but he just made the right decision nearly every time. I was really impressed. Like if the other team was playing zone and he got the ball at the foul line, he would make the right pass. If he got double teamed, he was able to find guys on the weak side. Even more impressive is that you know he likes to face up and, and drive and handle the ball, and he's able to make plays on the move. It's not even necessarily necessarily you know like we've talked about bam Adebayo, who's been a, a great guy running some of the dho game out at the elbows but then when he actually like puts his head down to try and score his head stays down and he isn't able to make the play yet i thought mobley actually was able to do that when he got double teamed or when he would get into the lane and didn't necessarily have anything he would like find cutters along the baseline or just kick it out to the correct shooter uh if there was a guy who had two on the weak side he would pick the one who was open there's a, a beautiful play that he had in one of the games where he kind of drove along the baseline got caught underneath and then was able to just do like a little lay down pass to his brother for an easy layup uh, as he was trapped underneath the basket so just really impressive stuff for me one of the better you know especially for a freshman one of the better passing bigs that i've seen so i think he's absolutely profiles as one of these guys that you can run everything through at the elbow which i i really like that as kind of a starting point for his game because i don't necessarily see him as you know, I think it's possible he could get there, but I think probably more likely than that, he's not going to really be a dominating one-on-one scorer. Right, and the Mobley offensive game is so fascinating. Like, I, I loved his interior passing, like especially to his brother Isaiah, but that that isn't something you normally see from from big men ever like in college but especially from from a high-end one who you know he just it's not there's not a ton of opportunity that those look good i also thought that mobley's passing vocabulary was better than most bigs like he had some bounce passes like to guys that were cutting and other that you just don't see very often that was very encouraging and the other reason why I think that's you brought up the kind of the limitations with him as a scorer is that it could theoretically feed into a an overall game where Mobley could be a jump shooter as well. And Mobley shoots a pretty easy ball. Now, he only shot 12 of 40, which is 30 percent on threes this year, but 69% from the line is is not terrible and then he only Mobley only took 25 mid-range shots so that's as synergy defines it that's 17 feet to the three-point line but he was 13 to 25 and I thought that his the mechanics on his shot looked pretty good so 
I don't think that Mobley is going to be able to do the Jokic game of, you know, make passes. And then if you get a smaller guy, draw a double. Or if you get a smaller guy and you just bully the crap out of him. I don't think Mobley has those those physical tools or the skill tools to get there. But I think he can do some other things that are that are potent. And maybe that doesn't make him the same type of hub as the best. Like, I don't know that he can do the kind of like the DHO attacking for a score the way that Bam can do, like we saw in the Eastern Conference Finals in the bubble. But this is a really nice place to start. And it's unconventional, but I think it could work. Yeah, you know, I I think he's offensively, other than maybe as an offensive rebounder, I think he is pretty solid in just about every area as a, a big. And you mentioned the shooting. My guess would be that his shooting is going to be okay, but not like a five alarm fire. We got to guard this guy. He's going to hit 40% of his threes. He's got like a little, you know, I don't know that I'd go quite as far as the easy ball that you said. I think it's a little bit flat. A lot of his shots were short. Um, you know, he can face up and... and I, I'm, so know. to clarify, I meant more mechanically, like his lower body is really smooth rather than the way it is in the air. Yeah. Uh, so so I guess... Uh, and, and there are times that he could like bust something out off the dribble. There are like times when he would just really break out nice moves through like there's one time he caught it triple threat near the free throw line and did a jab step right and then between his legs and then i think he actually like set up a pass out of that to a guy underneath which is really impressive so is he gonna get to where he can like you know iso and shoot a step back so like there's many of these things where i'm like okay like that, that could happen right he's still a bit of a tabula rasa and he obviously has a very high skill level already the ball's got to go in the basket i think he could get the footwork easily enough and has the athleticism to get some separation and you know shoot a step back or shoot a fade away out of the mid post or maybe face up and drive as well so maybe he could have a little bit of that iso game i would say the odds are against it i don't think he has like an unbelievably fast first step i don't think that his jumper is going to be like oh man this is just like so good that we can't we got to get up on him and then we're worried about him blowing by but i think all those things are possible right like he the, he's this is why, again, I feel like I don't have a great feel for him because you'll watch him do some of these things and you're like, oh, this actually could be pretty good. It's just, you wonder, is it, can he, will he actually be able to evolve this? You see these flashes. Can he evolve this particular skill? And you feel that way about his post game. You feel that way about his face-up game. Other than the passing, you know, basically every aspect of his pick and roll game, uh, as well as either a pick and pop guy or a, a, a roll man. I'm like, yeah, you know what? There are flashes here. Like there's some raw material, but he also, is gonna have to like majorly improve and all these but he's a, a, a really young guy uh, as well he is 20 years old now uh just turned 20 about 10 days ago so maybe slightly older than your normal uh one and done guy but you know still obviously very young and raw and also a guy who because he's so thin you could see him maybe getting better athletically as well and that could be a a big part of how he could improve so there is this upside in a lot of different areas but there's also you don't see that one thing other than maybe just being able to pass that you're just like oh this guy is gonna be someone gonna have something to hang his hat on as someone who we're gonna run offense through other than just as like a passer at the elbow should we should we talk about his post game a little bit sure uh I I thought that his post uh, his post up game wasn't it, it wasn't particularly impressive for me as a scorer like he can't move guys well enough to really create some of those problems and I also I wasn't the biggest fan of Mobley's touch around the basket like when he can get all the way in sure yeah absolutely but like the kind of like the five foot six foot shot I didn't love it well 
yeah you know it's interesting i thought it seemed like he would get good looks more than he would make them uh, out of post-ups and it was a little, that's a good yeah. way to describe it i had i hadn't articulated it that way but that's that's fair. it was a little bit harder for him to get the ball sometimes because he would get fronted or, or or whatever they did a decent job getting it to him and he had 23 percent usage which for this player type is totally fine it's not dominating but it's hard for college big men to get the ball a lot uh, as well and you know again the skill level was obvious i think he gets great extension on his jump hook uh, if he's able to get to that he's able to step around guys he's got up fakes he can go right shoulder he can go left shoulder he can shoot a turnaround he's got a left-handed hook as well now the post-up numbers were not particularly impressive on synergy you know whereas he's more efficient on other play types and you know again i think kind of that finishing and the the touch came into play and that's that's a big part of it right just whether you can make that shot go in you know nikola Jokic and deandre ayton they have that and you know i don't know if evan mobley does but he was still his skill level is very high and yeah you know he's not going to be able to back down but he can kind of work at a position go back and forth step around guys then get guys out of position step through Do, if you put a gun in my head and say hey is this going to be someone where it's like you're going to throw in the ball against another center and have him go to work i would say probably not if you have him against a, a small against a switch and particularly because he can dribble you know maybe he could dribble into that as well you know maybe that's something you might see i mean i think he even ran like a like 5-1 pick and roll at one point and made a nice pass out of it to a shooter so again there's like i'm not ruling out the possibility that he could be good at posting up or that he could be good against switches or against smaller players but he's just he's thin enough he's just i he doesn't he doesn't scream to me like oh man this guy's just gonna overwhelm you right like we we got a double team here because he's posting up against our small forward and it's just gonna be a disaster for us and now now we're in rotation right like maybe he gets there maybe he doesn't i would say more likely than not he doesn't um you know i think he would need to get stronger and more athletic uh, as well or he's got to become a a better shooter and you know or have pick and pop where you have to switch him uh, on pick and roll as well um his yeah go well and, that, and that's a part of that's a part of why um the second game i watched for mobley after the i watched gonzaga first was against washington state and part of, i looked at you know i looked at box scores i don't know a ton about even the pac-12 where my alma mater is conference i don't know champions. a ton about did you know that the pac-12 is a conference of champions because uh because bill walton reminded us of that on, on every single one of these games that i watched uh approximately it was phenomenal times a game the the joy that i had listening to snippets of bill walton just it it, it, just, it just made my it made parts of my week um but so the washington state game which did not have bill walton's commentary because it, it was it was the game at wazoo which they filmed from this really weird high camera angle which i kind of loved for evaluating evan mobley's defense but that was a game that i chose deliberately because mobley had 20 points 11 rebounds six blocks and i'm like okay this is he had a couple of games where mobley scored more points but you know against a against the pac-12 opponent and you know everything else like that so i'm like okay this is going to be evan mobley like he's gonna you know he had this really good game they won against washington state and he did play well to be sure but offensively you know scored those 20 points he never was like oh crap like on individual plays or anything else like they weren't like sending sending too many doubles they weren't the the what the washington state cougars were not freaking out that much about evan mobley's offense 
offense. And I thought that that was notable when you think about, you know, the dramatic increase in talent that's going to come. And Mobley's going to get better, but the talent around him, both on his team and against him, is going to jump up a lot too. Yeah. Now, that said, it's just, it's tough for big guys to dominate in college in the post. There's not a lot of space. You know, you don't have a a ton of shooting. They're just, it's harder to enter the ball because there's no defensive three seconds and all, all that. Um, so as a finisher it, and you know this gets into pick and roll a little bit too you know he definitely if he gets it a little bit on the move he can pop up and kind of get his head near the rim you're like oh wow he dunked that fast doesn't have the greatest second jump at least at this point in his career and is not that quick off the floor you know he can he can get alley-oops I don't know if he's gonna be like a go grab it at the corner of the backboard type of guy as an alley-oop finisher you know I think he can have solid gravity you know I would consider it more above average same thing around the rim too like he can definitely get up and dunk it uh in ways that are a little bit quicker than probably your average nba center but he's i you know i don't know that he's not like unbelievably close now maybe he that's something that because he's so thin maybe he could really improve that explosion become a more powerful jumper and again i think he's got pretty decent left and right hand and he's got to just learn to deal with getting bumped a little bit more you know i think guys can do that and he's you know a smart player i think he has a high skill level like i think that touch is going to improve and he does have very good hands i thought um he's on his face-up game trying to drive to the basket and finish you know you don't really see guys in college who are bigs be able to like really have enough room to do like a, a attack the basket finish off a of one foot we didn't really see him get any euro type of game i think he could get into that type of finishing though as time goes sure. on and he was a, he did have some pretty big dunks every once in a while coming off a of one foot so i think that's you know again if he's able to triple threat blow by the guy again doesn't have the quickest first step in the world another thing that maybe could improve for him you know a lot of it was kind of all right he would put the ball catch the ball on like a pick and pop from 18 feet at the top of the key and make his first move to his right and then spin back to his left and kind of work in a position try and step around the guy and that would work okay but it's also not just like an unbelievable offense so i think that's about all i've got on him uh, as a as an offensive player is, is there anything else that you wanted to share yeah i i don't want to get too deep into like a psychological profile because i don't have that on mobile but it seems to me when i watch the film on him that he offensively kind of wishes he were a little bit shorter because he like it seems like he really relishes doing those smaller guy things hit ahead passes triple threat attacks and those passes and there are ways to make that work for bigger dudes and thankfully the nba has evolved coaching wise and player development that if a player is good enough at doing those things that they will get the opportunity but it is it is notable with him like you hear all the time about the players who grew up as guards or all these other things but like mobley you could see the pop in his movement and everything else when he gets those opportunities and one of the defining questions of his nba career will be not whether he gets the opportunity to do those things but is he good enough at them to have a team give him those opportunities as a starter or as a closer you know in second unit minutes or something like that obviously like he could probably be that he could probably be there but that's not where the rubber beats the road for a guy who could potentially be a top five pick yeah and so let's get into our evaluation of him and starting on the offensive end 
the bar is just so high right now for a center to be someone that you run offense through and so you know the only guys who you're just like oh these guys are just like such massive problems are Embiid and Nicole Jokic and 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 Towns and Towns right Towns is another one but you know he's such a shoot he's got more size and strength than Mobley I don't see Mobley getting to be that level of offensive player and so then you know could he get into more kind of not necessarily the same type of player but kind of your Sabonis Bam type of level you know Vucevic again different games for all these guys but a guy who maybe can be a second type of option or you run a lot of stuff through him with some guards but you know isn't necessarily the guy who's like creating elite offense for you but could be a good support player and also you know potentially could be better on defense than a couple of those guys you know that i could see but i you know i don't know that that's even certain that am i think there is potentially a world in which and, and the other thing too is that to really unlock his potential on the offensive end he's got to be a five defensively um you know yes him going up against you know trying to post up on like jay crowder when you have another center on the floor you know i just don't i don't see that working that well to be a foundation well and also also his triple threat game and all that if he's being guarded by a smaller guy is going to be very different yeah i mean his shooting ability ability to drive and pass the passing is a lot less useful when you have another center on the floor as well because that center probably can't shoot particularly if it's got to be like a burly type that's able to like protect him because he's too thin so his offensive game i think at center could be really good at power forward you know i mean maybe he's just he could be he would have to make himself into like an awesome shooter as opposed to just like a solid shooter and so so that's that's a a point of concern but i don't see him as just this like dominating offensive player and then defensively again i think the potential is very high you know could he be a guy who could switch a lot yeah maybe maybe he could he just you just wonder what it would be like more out in space at the nba level you might have to evolve into that you have to get more athletic it's hard for him to get into a stance um you know he does have the high center of gravity there's uh defensive glass he could struggle he does protect the rim so you know i do see him as a little jaron-y defensively uh although just a much smarter player like jaron's his biggest problem is the fouling and that you know mobiles can get out of that but struggle a little bit on the defensive glass makes blocks but you know more of his blocks are kind of in the guy's hand than in the air although he can get those two uh and you know as a switch guy i would say his film as a switch guy is probably not as impressive as what we saw in jaron at michigan state and jaron even has not really been that good as a switch guy in the league so these things can all evolve and if you especially if you have the right coaching and the right body development and jaron has struggled with injuries as well but i i would say jaron is like a pretty decent comp for him defensively would you agree with that I think Mobley, I think he could be a little bit better as a straight five than Jaron has been so far, but I think it's a reasonable comp. Yeah, I think Mobley is a better pick and roll defender, I would yeah. say. Um, you know, Jaron also, I think, will be able to get stronger, a little bit bigger of frame, although both those guys are, are not that strong right now. You know, they both kind of have like this little drive game a little bit. I would say Jaron, better shooter, although Jaron's shooting was a revelation once he actually got into the league. And But, I, you know, I don't see Mobley as just being like this awesome bomber type from outside. He also you know the 69 percent free throw shooting if i recall i think jaron was was way better than that uh so you know again that that kind of that number is fine for a big but you, you could see him kind of just being a guy all right i'll take these but not someone where like 
oh man, five alarm fire. The defense has to guard him out there. It's like, all right, pick and pop. You're not going to guard me. All right, I'll take this. You know, that's kind of how I see it more as the most likely outcome on offense. So I do wonder there are some pretty obvious ways for him to fail if he's not a center defensively and then he's just kind of a guy on offense like it all has to it all comes back to him being a center defensively and and just fitting in to that position and then his offensive game could really sing some there's also some concerns just that he doesn't play that hard you'd like to see him play a little bit harder but again it's not it's not like criminally bad or anything i don't think of him as being lazy but he also you know there's an economy of movement i think it's fair to say as you said that a number of times uh anything else you want to say just kind of on on like his fit or his future or like kind of how you see him i I do want to compare him to kind of the other bigs out of the the last five years as a prospect yeah but but before we get to that before we get to that so there are kind of two conceptual tests and i'll say the second one will tie in with where you're going so the first one is to me there are two different ways that a center can be a can be a difference maker in a high level series in the nba one is like so you think about series often get smaller and everything else so one way is that you are compatible with defensive schemes that's often defensive versatility i think this is in many ways the bam out of bio argument it's that you you don't you don't have to play smaller because they can do some of the smaller things and i and then the other one is you're so damn good that it doesn't matter if you can't do everything because the team is still better with you out there and that's the argument for Embiid and Jokic and a lot of the other best centers and what i think is so challenging about Mobley is that i do not have particular confidence that he checks either that he will at his best check either of those two boxes of being you know being able to fit any fit a lot of systems or being so good that the systems don't matter but there is a plausible chance that he does either or both which is really unusual like that the idea that he could make the that he could be versatile enough defensively that it'll work or that the offensive game you know that he could be a hub and and make everything else work i don't think he's going to be that level of offensive player but as an overall you know like okay he's one of your you know three best players so you're probably not going to have him on the off the floor and so like i think that but my lack of confidence that he does that he's oh he's definitely going to do one or both makes it more likely that mobley is could still be a very good player but not reach that threshold which is so pivotal in the modern nba of like he has to be out there and those are the guys that really get paid those are the ones that you and i truly value around the league even though there are a lot of players below that line that we do really like yeah if you could if you told me for sure this guy is gonna be able to hold up defensively and on the boards as a center i would be higher on him um for sure because then i'd be like oh this offense is like really intriguing and hey he could hold up that way you know if you were just a little didn't quite have as thin of a body and we'll see we'll see how it feels i think it's i would say it's more likely than not that he can hold up at center eventually but i think there's but, a, but that he's like a top 10 defensive center like because yeah. there are people who see that and i'm more skeptical that that's the case. yeah i i mean he's it's swall- possible he swallows dudes up sometimes and like the not following like, i think he's a really smart player the passing like i think I think he could he could get there uh, as, as except for the rebounding and the post defense and, and just the general. Yeah, and like strength. if we want to compare him, like I, I've thought about Capella a fair amount. Like Capella has a seven five wingspan. Capella is a little bit sturdier yeah. of a dude, and I mean Capella, I had him number two in my defensive player of the year this yeah. year, but that was also a high watermark for Mister Capella. And I think he has better defensive instincts to, than Capella. So so here let's let's do this to finish out. Here are the bigs that were since we'll start in twenty fifteen, I guess, or maybe oh, even we'll go to twenty. 
2014. Bigs that were drafted high, you know, were being talked about as like potential top five picks. So Wiseman in a Kongu last year, 2019, not really anybody. I don't consider Zion to really be a big. I, I would I would put the you know uh, Jackson Hayes to be you know, a level below Mobley as a prospect, like not someone who's being talked about like this. Uh, Marvin Bagley, Jaron, and DeAndre Ayton and Mo Bamba. Again, I would say Carter is probably a, a level below there, at least for in terms of like what people were saying he could be at the time. 2017, nobody. 16, you know, I wouldn't consider Dragon Bender to really be traditional enough of a big to to talk about this way. Uh, Towns, Okafor, and Porzingis in 2015, and then you. Joel in 2014 where would you slide him in uh, among those type of players I'll, I'll phrase it a little bit differently so I I separate out bigs big prospects into th- of the higher end guys into three categories one is likely star almost definite starter the third tier is likely starter unlikely star and so i'll use uh, jared allen as an example there like where i and i remember i like jared allen a lot better than the average person he fell into the 20s in the draft i disagreed with that pretty strongly then the middle tier is the nebulous one and that is players who are possible stars and likely starters but not likely stars and that's where i have him and so that group is uh, i have my remember i was higher on miles turner i had turner over porzingis in that class i have turner there i had deandre ayton in that group too um Wiseman so I would have Mobley definitely below below Towns but in the mix with Aiton and who I was lower on you know than than some and Jaron and Miles Turner yeah Turner Turner was drafted a little bit lower so I I, I wouldn't have th- thought about him but yeah which is fine no I'm just I'm just I'm cycling yeah. back to where I had them at right the time. right yeah so yeah I mean kind of in that Aiton Jaron range is how I would think of him I mean I think he is more offensively skilled than either of those guys for sure you know I think he has a higher offensive upside than either of those guys um and some may still be written for someone like Aiton but I think this far it is like i still don't think he's gonna be a guy that you're gonna just throw the ball to and i think it's possible that that could be mobley but you're also you can run offense through him at the elbows for sure and that's useful right like i think like you could see i could see mobley kind of becoming a uh more of an al horford-esque offensive player potentially you know a little different body type again maybe a little bit more face-up game a little better finisher and pick and roll than al i think you know that's something that i think mobley is gonna bring as well i think he'd be a solid role man um you know, so I think he's going to be above average offensive center. I, I feel pretty good about that aspect of it. And it's just a question of whether the ball is going to go in for him as a shooter or not. And then whether he's going to actually be able to beat guys one-on-one in the post, at least on switches, if not, you know, just throw it into him against another center. And then defensively, you know, I think he does have a, a lot of potential there too. It's just, if he just weren't so thin, you know, I've kind of, that that's the only thing that, that gives me some concern. I just don't have a great feeling for how his body is going to fill out. He just looks so gangly out there but he also just you know that length just swallows guys up at times as well so i think i would probably put him maybe as as having i would put him slightly above Aiton and jackson kind of in that range you know below towns porzingis i wasn't as high on at the time but maybe kind of more in the in the Porzingis type of range, potentially. I, I don't think he's going to be as good of a shooter as Porzingis, uh, but also can do more facing the basket. I think he has more post-up skills. Kind of has the same problem, though, of like the inability to get low and move people. More mobile defensively. I think Porzingis might be a little bit better a rim protector when he's actually in position. So, yeah, I mean, kind of, kind of in that range. Um, you know, I don't, I think if you had to say, hey, is he going to be as good as Porzingis was before uh, the injuries? I would say probably be a little bit worse 
worse than that would be my guess and also i think there's there is a a way that he the bottom just falls out uh, on evan mobley and you know i also think the odds of him just being this you know making the strides that he theoretically could make in all of these different areas i would be very interested obviously in the intel and like what type of a worker he is and, and stuff but i do think he also is a smart player and you don't see that all that often in a big you know he's definitely a smarter player than most of these guys that we're talking about which with his length and skill level i think could matter a lot and just got to get a little bit more of a fire under him which you know who, who knows whether that'll happen or not i think that's all i got on him though i mean it'll, uh, we'll see where he ends up you know i'm not if guys like jalen green and kate cunningham are kind of like what they're cracked up to be i'm guessing i'll probably have mobley below them just because he's a center or and maybe not even necessarily a center but a big but i was i was impressed by him you know i wasn't blown away but i there, there are a lot of things that uh were that stood out to me where you're like yeah this is he's quite the ball of clay if a thin one and we'll talk to you all next week till then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.